Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Talk Wordy to Me. I'm your host, Jordana Levine. Hopefully you're taking some time off as we enter Christmas week and you've been compiling a list of books to read over the break from previous episodes of this podcast show. If you are struggling to remember all of the books that have been recommended in the episodes of Talk Wordy to Me, there's always a list of recommended books in the show notes of each episode. So you should have a long, hefty list to sift through. In today's episode, I'm chatting with nutritionist, author, actress, podcast host, and good friend of mine, Ms. Lola Berry. We spoke about Lola's new book, Fearlessly Failing, which is based on her popular podcast show of the same name. I loved this conversation because, you know what, as someone who interviews a lot of people, it is bloody rare to get someone to engage in open conversation about when things didn't go as planned. Lola is vulnerable, candid, and open in this interview. And well, I have to say, it makes for a great podcast guest. We also chat, of course, about Lola's favorite books. So make sure you check the show notes of this episode for all of her epic book recommendations. Please enjoy this interview with Lola Berry. This is book 11, which is mental. Yeah, but I've said this to you when we've had coffee before. I feel like you're a natural writer and I'm not. And my other books are mainly recipe books. So they're pretty pictures, you know. Well, yes and no. I think, you know, the effort that goes into putting together any kind of book and the vulnerability that comes with putting out any kind of book is an achievement in itself. And 11 is a redonkulous number. I guess so. I don't know. I, I've i just always been, like, in it, so I don't really kind of, like, I don't know. I've never set out to think that I'd be a writer or anything like that. I never thought I was smart enough to write a book. So I don't. I, I, I rarely look back with retrospect and go, or retrospectively and go, oh, my God, I've done all that. I never do that. I'm just on to the next thing. I'm one of those people. I don't know what yeah. kind of person that is, but that's what I am. <laughs> I want you to cast your mind back to the first time you got a book deal, though, regardless of what the book was. Do you remember that feeling, what that felt like? Yeah, so the first book was called Inspiring Ingredients. I was 22 years old and I self-funded it but got a small Melbourne publishing company to kind of like silently back it. So I piggybacked off their publishing house and they created a little imprint for for me called Berry Hill (laughs) and um, that took a little bit of a load off the financial burden because, as you know, it's so expensive to make a book. And I literally got my like cousin to shoot it. There's bits of the recipes missing and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that was really cool. Like even the the font on the front cover is my handwriting. So having done that first one on my own kind of thing or a lot, I guess, a lot of it on my own, um, 
I, that just again felt like you were creating this thing and sharing this thing that you were creating but then signing to a big publishing house in Australia for the next book I guess that was a little bit more of a beast yeah and what did they approach you on the back of that first book or was that again you sort of like pitching yourself uh, no, I went to America. I'd always done morning TV segments for health and I would never introduce myself as a nutritionist because I thought I was too fat. And uh, people used to tell me as well after my TV segments, people <laughs> would come up to me and be like, um, you should never wear yellow. It makes you look pudgy. That story is in your book. And do you know what? It made me cringe so much because I know that feeling where you wear something and you feel really great and nothing has changed in the mirror except someone saying something to you and then all of a sudden you're seeing something completely different and you refuse to ever wear that dress ever again I know I know and I've just got back from LA recently and I just bought a yellow dress very similar to that one I was like stuff it I'm wearing it but um that was meant one of many like even if the segments went on YouTube people would be like what a failure of a nutritionist she's too fat blah 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 so what happened was I think I got to the end of my tether of hearing that kind of stuff and I was still pretty young. I was like 23 and I went to America to try and get an agent and live the dream over there and I, I think I ended the trip with a best mate in Hawaii and I came back and I'd shed all this weight just because I'd eaten paleo and really healthy in California and um, the book deal became like off the back of losing so much weight so I'd lost 20 kilos and I think that was called the 2020 diet lose 20 kilos in 20 weeks I'm not pro diets at all nowadays but um that was to be like honestly that's where the second book deal came from yeah I remember that book I had it ah it's a nice book it's not really about weight loss at all it's just about good food So this book, Fearlessly Failing, it's your latest one. Like we said, it's very, very different to the books that came before it. How did this come about? Uh, From the podcast, which you have been a wonderful guest on. So we created a podcast, um, Bosso and I, called Fearlessly, my boyfriend, Matt, called Fearlessly Failing. And Boss reminded me of this only about a month or two ago. He's like, you know, when we created this, we said this would be a great book. And I was like, far out, I'd forgotten I had thought that a publisher had come to me and gone, hey, we need to turn this into a book. And Matt's like, you fully manifested it. You fully had already said this is going to become a book. Um, So, yeah, the the premise of the podcast is to interview people, as you know, um, about not only the success but also like the shadows and the lessons and the failures uh, in a bid to kind of like share the, the moments and places we grow and learn the most. And then the book is kind of like a deconstructed version of that uh, with my own kind of like memoir kind of vibe in there and I self-deprecate heaps. And I I would say I'm not a feminine writer. I'm very, my tone is like very dry, very tough love and very self-deprecating. And so, yeah. <laughs> well, it does sound like you when you're reading it. I was reading one line last night and I think it starts off, right oh, I was like, yeah. that's Lola. <laughs> Yeah. And I had a mate and my editor is phenomenal and he was so great at like finding my language, which is mm. really important. I didn't realize how much of a hurdle that would be. And he was unreal. And he had one, a little like word thing that he would say, and I ended up loving it, but it wasn't mine. It was his. So he would always go, and here's the kicker. And I'm like, oh, I want to start using that in my own vocabulary. Now. Like, and yeah, that's yeah. when you've got a good editor because it, it makes you feel like you've 
can heal yourself. I think yeah. that's important for it's me. It's something anyway. you would say. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So so then, okay, so the podcast came first. What, what, was, what was the draw card for this idea of failing and hearing about people's failures? Why did that interest you so much? Because I used to tour and do lots of speaking gigs about health and nutrition and wellness. And I got so, Jordana, I got so bored of it. Like, honestly, I would go to a speaking gig and be like, if I have to talk about another day on day on my plate, you know, life Ugh. in the day. Yeah, I want to put a fork in my eye. And so I said, can I talk about mental health or failure? I'd always ask that. And they'd be like, well, it's not really your skill set. I'm like, I'm really good at failing. I can totally <laughs> do it. And, and, and I said, I like talking about bumps in the road. I really love talking about it. I think people can relate to it. And to me, it's so much more interesting than like how to cook broccoli five different ways, you know. Mm. And that's when I got really passionate about talking about failure and seeing it as a positive. And that's, I'm a very, um, I love like people that like chase a dream and like I watch all those like motivational videos. And so I just love being in that space. And then I've always been passionate about mental health and a huge priority in my life. And so they're the two topics that I love and I've never got tired or sick of. And Mm. so that's kind of where that concept came from. Yeah. And I guess the most beautiful thing about failures, which is what comes across in the podcast and also in the book, is that there's lessons to be learned from all of them, right? And even though, yeah, it feels like this, you know, massive downfall at the time, it really can be the thing that changes everything, really. Totally. Think about it. Like when you fail, you obviously it feels crap at the beginning, but then you're like, okay, I can either learn from this skill up. Like sometimes it means that there's a skill that you haven't, you know, got that in your toolkit yet. So it can mean you can skill up. You can, it can take you down the path of like heartbreak failure was the reason I found therapy. You know, I think there are so many cool things that can change the course of your life that can come from failures. Are you one of those people who needs to fail a few times in order to learn the lesson or are you a pretty quick learner when it comes to mistakes? I think it depends on the genre of life. So like (laughs) heartbreak, I had to learn that a lot. Um, Career, no, I learned fast with career because I fail so in entertainment you fail all the time and you face heaps and heaps of rejection yeah you learn really really fast like like you learn you never you wear stripes on tv once and you'll never do it again because it strobes and so it's the whole camera and so you know some lessons you learn real fast but heartbreak definitely took me all of my 20s to figure out I want to talk, I want to talk about heartbreak but let's start with career first you share some pretty big failures in the book And I think, you know, not just with people in the spotlight, but just with like people in our lives, our friendship groups, we kind of see everyone through this really kind of optimistic lens, I think. Like we don't really want to take in people's failures. We just kind of attach ourselves to their successes. I found it really refreshing to hear about some of the failures that you'd been through in your life, realising that I probably hadn't been taking them in just through what I'd been witnessing, you know, through social media or whatever, but it was all happening in the background. And I think when people, when people can witness that, whether they're listening to it through the podcast or reading it in the book, it just gives them perspective on their own life. So can you share with us some of those big, big time failures that perhaps people weren't aware of at the time? Yeah, I mean, there's so many and we could do a whole pod just on career stuff ups, but 
for me, like the smoothie bar was a big one. I, I created, co-created with, I was one of five partners, a smoothie bar in Melbourne and it was called Happy Place and you got a crystal with your smoothie and it was very clean. There was no sugars. There was no agave even. Like it was the the values of the smoothies and the, the product was primo and I wrote every recipe from scratch and we even had clear courts in the ground, like everything we went above and behind. And it was a beautiful experience, but every single winter it would just bleed cash and mm. all five of us owners and I was a majority shareholder, we would have to float the company, which means put money in to keep doors open and wages paid. And being a majority shareholder, I would have to flip the biggest percentage of that money. And after three years of it, my business partner at the time, one of the business partners, kind of like the, the boss of it all was like, I'm out. Yeah. And I think everyone expected me to buy them out. And I just, I said, you need to give me two weeks. I went straight to my therapist, bawled my eyes out, bawled my eyes out in the meeting too. And, um, and I had it forced me to get so clear on what I wanted in my life, which was much more like in the TV hosting and acting realm, as opposed to running the smoothie bar for it to fly you know, I needed to be on the ground and be there at all times kind of thing or a lot of the time. And so, mm. yeah, I had to wake up and realise that as and let my ego go because I thought it would succeed for sure. And, like, the summers were great. Like, we couldn't keep up with it. But winters, it's like Siberia. It's gross in Melbourne. You don't want a smoothie. So learning that, you know, it was bleeding cash and that it was a huge failure, we... Set, we put it to market and sold it right before COVID actually. So in hindsight, probably a great success to sell it before that, but it mm. felt like a huge failure at the time. It was a really, I thought the smoothie bar was a really good example of one of those things that you see in your future and it all comes together and it, all the pieces are falling into place and then it slowly starts to dismantle, but the dream itself is still there. And so to be able to walk away from something like that. I mean, you said it in such a simple way just then, but it takes a lot of courage and it's not something that you can just decide on overnight. So what was that process like for you? Like, was it about, I mean, I know you're like triple Virgo. Was it about like strategizing at all? Or was it about like really feeling into what felt right for you? Oh, I was completely unprofessional. Like in the way that I handled it straight away, I would call that a huge failure. Like I was sitting in a boardroom. I was the only female and I just burst into tears and no one knew what to do with me. (laughs) So I, and I just said, I need two weeks. And I sat with my therapist and I did exactly what you said the triple Virgo would do. And I just sat there with like butcher's paper Mm. and we looked at all options. We weighed up pros, we weighed up cons. We got clear on like, it literally had my name on the front door. It was like happy place, Lola Berry. And I got clear on like that my ego was so attached to it that like a little part of me liked the little bit of like notoriety and fame that came with that and like letting that part of me die, like letting go of that, letting that be a failure. But the coolest thing that came from that smoothie bar selling process was when we sold, the majority of people's responses were oh are you okay that was the most common like eight out of ten people yeah and then two people out of ten would be like oh my god that's so exciting congrats I cannot wait to see what's next for you and those two percent like that smaller chunk of people 
they would be CEOs, like people that ran their own businesses and kind of like more high flyers, whereas people that lived a little bit more safety and like more like regimented, whatever whatever their lives, the value system was not right. And I used to get so uncomfortable when people would be like that with me, like really sad and like, mm. okay, babe, I'd be like, what? Like it was just because I'd also worked with a therapist through the whole process and to sell, it was not a quick process. It was like a three month thing to get it sold. And um, so by the time we actually sold and handed over and I was really passionate about protecting the staff as well. That was one thing that I was, I was very mother henny. And um, I said, you know, by this, that stage I was, I'd already let go. And so I was like, why is this sad for so many people? So I don't know. It just was interesting learning about how people perceived it as a failure, whereas other people perceived it as something really exciting. Yeah. And that's the perspective piece again, right? So <laughs> Lola, tell me like, even just telling that story puts you sort of in this state of vulnerability. How did you find the writing, writing process? Because as someone who shares personal story a lot when they're writing, I find it to be quite harrowing like you're reliving the experience again you shared a lot of stories in this book how did you find that sitting down to actually put pen to paper or you know finger to keypad I was so surprised how much I enjoyed writing the love and heartbreak chapter not because of like telling all the funny dingo stories of dating like dickheads um but like from the actually like I was so nice to celebrate my first love again and so there were moments where I just loved like it was super cathartic and like I talk about in the book like my first love was epic and my you know last love is epic the bosso who I'm with now and it being a 10-year gap and I never had taken the time because I was so young to sit and celebrate what that first love was and how that gave me the value system to be able to walk away from the other lessons so to speak the bar had been set and it it was so nice to acknowledge that as not as a writer, but as a human, which I think I hadn't done that because I was in my early twenties, you know? And then as far as like the career failures and stuff, I'd shared so many of them on the public speaking routes in Australia. Like that's what I've done for so many years. And it's like how I make most of my income pre COVID made, should I say? Um, and so I feel like they'd te- been tested. You know, I'd, I'd already tested the water with them, so I yeah. wasn't afraid of writing about them. I've never felt harrowing, though. I've never felt too oh, emotional. That's great. <laughs> I don't know why, but maybe, like, you share a lot of, like, I, like, I've read both of your books and you share a lot of, like, super personal yeah. stuff too. But I, I, I don't know. I think, you know, this is the thing about me and I mean this in the best way. I'm such an entertainer that I would happily tell any one of these stories on a stage and it wouldn't, if it means that it would make someone laugh, happy days. Yeah, I think yeah. that's more my MO, I think. No, I love that. Um, we've had a conversation previously about the fact that sometimes you're not allowed to include all the stories. The publisher says, uh-uh, absolutely not. You cannot share that story in the book. <laughs> yeah. So do you think maybe you can share one on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. I'm so pumped you asked this question. I really wanted this story to stay and I actually fought for this to stay. Um, I fought for so many to stay and, like, honestly, they weren't allowed to stay. One, actually, one guy that I wrote about in the heartbreak section, when we broke up, 
he was like, hey, I'm going to sue you if you ever write about me. And so that was my intro to his section. Yeah. We've got the same publisher, Kelly, and she's like, Lola, you're literally asking him to sue <laughs> Please do not include that in the story. I'm like, I'm just telling the truth. And she's like, great. Like, <laughs> you're going to get sued though. Like, cannot do this. So, yeah, and I thought, oh, but it just shows like his nature. And, and, I, and she's like, again, great. But um, so no. that was funny. That had to get cut. But one was... I love this story so much because it drives me so much today as a human. But I was meant to be working with this person and I was kind of meeting and greeting them and we'd be working very closely together. And um, I said to her on this first meet and greet, I said, oh, you know, I'm really excited to work with you. I I need you to know my big dream, though, if we're going to work together. And she was like, yeah, of course, you know, we're sipping on beanos together. It was all really like fun and and I said my dream is to be like Steve Colbert she spat her vino out and started laughing at me and I was like oh my god oh my god oh my god like I walked straight upstairs I was staying in a hotel walked straight upstairs boss was upstairs in the hotel and I was like oh I can never work with that person again took me two weeks to pluck up the courage to write an email to make sure that was done and and not let that become a working relationship but yeah, it was full on. See, that's not your failure, right? Like that is her failure. I mean, that story, I remember the first time you told me that story. I could not believe it. Jaw on the ground on for so many reasons, on so many levels. Um, but that, I feel like that, like in no way is that your failure. That is her failure. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Totally. And everyone I've told that story to says that as well. But in that moment, I felt like I wasn't enough. Okay. And the other thing she said at the very start of the meeting was, I had to Google you before this meeting. Oh <laughs> and I was like, that's fine. Like, I don't care that you had to do that. But like, don't say Google it. the person you're going to meet. Like, you just do like, you know, you're like, I'm on your podcast. So I've been listening to your new podcast. I want to know, like, I don't know. I just don't, it doesn't make any sense to me from no. a business perspective. And but it's, I, it's, yeah. it's basic PR. Like if anyone yeah. is in PR listening to this, I think they would just be, you know, as flabbergasted as we were. Like you just don't say stuff like that. Unless like they're trying to make you feel less than, which is what she which was Which is what she do. was doing. Yeah. It was a power move for sure. Yeah, and I definitely felt crap. Like I felt in that moment I was like, should I not be going for this dream? Like you have those moments where you feel like a failure, but you quickly, because I'm now into my fifth year of therapy, I can quickly figure out what's my shit and someone else's. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the writing process a little bit um, because I'm just fascinated by the way people write. Um, You've said a few times already that you would not classify yourself as a writer, but you just wrote a book. So there must have been some sort of process involved with it. How did you kind of set your day up around putting that manuscript together? So I was in the first lockdown in Melbourne or we were in Torquay 
I'd get up, I'd have black coffee, I'd exercise, I'd make like an egg omelette without fail every single day. And then I'd just write. And then by lunchtime, that'd be the start of the decline. Yeah. By three, I'd be out. So I could only write in mornings. And then obviously you get to crunch line where you just feel like you're writing 24-7. And that was like the last two weeks. I was just like constantly writing. But usually I'd be a morning writer and I'd try and do a bit every day so that I'd set myself a structure very Virgo and be like, I'd try to work on one chapter a week. Yeah. And if I didn't finish that chapter in that week, I would still force myself to move on to the next chapter ah. on Monday so so that I would have, it, like, it would be more like going back and filling in the holes. Very, probably very analytical and structure Yeah. I mean, it's not that different to how I would do it, but I, I have to finish a chapter. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I've quickly yeah. let go of that. And I've always been able to let go of a manuscript. I don't care because I know I'm going to get, like, 13 more chances to look at it. Do you see yourself sitting down and writing another book in this kind of genre? Maybe. I have no idea. I never thought I'd even write another book after I wrote the 10th one, which was The Yoga Body. I didn't think I'd write again at all. And then the opportunity came up. So who knows? I mean, I I kind of would love to like my dream at the moment is I'm so focused on acting and want to be like a Steve Colbert as I get older. And so I think it'd be cool to do a book where you look back at some of the stuff or like the acting journey and whatnot, but because um, it's brutal and hard and you fail daily. So cool. But yeah, at the moment, I'm just like pumped to dive into the world of acting and TV presenting. So let's talk about the world of acting and TV presenting. So you are living part-time in LA and part-time in Bangalore. Can we say that? Do you say yeah. that you're in Bangalore? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is your house address. No. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> so tell me, tell me about chasing the acting dream because one might say, I would not, but one might say mid-30s is kind of late to be jumping on board. Yeah. So, totally. so what, how does it look for you? Yeah, so I never feared my age ever until I was in acting school and in a Melbourne acting school and I remember one of the teachers said, as soon as you turn 38, you'll only ever be cast as a mum. And I was oh, like, God. shit, I've only got three years until <laughs> I do that. Um, and so that scared the shit through me. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but I'm swearing. Yeah. Um, and but the, the beauty has been like training. I've trained consistently in LA, so I've done four years in Australia of training, and then I've well, I've been LA kind of like intensely for the last five months that I was living there. And there's everyone from every walk of life, of every, every age group, from different like backgrounds, from different countries, where you know English is second language. Um, and so I think that's an Australian thing. I don't think the age thing matters in America. That said, I'm very aware that I'm coming to it at an older age. Most people start like getting into acting teens, early twenties is kind of like the Mm. latest. And then, but for me, I just, I'm in it for the long haul. So that's why I want to keep training with like the greats and keep sharpening my skill set and learning as much as I can, but it's fucking petrifying. It's scary. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. I was when I was reading your book. There's a whole kind of section on acting and and what it teaches you about failure. But there is a lot of rejection 
right? Like, I, I mean, I, I acted when I was a teenager, when I was in high school, I used to go out to auditions and I, I mean, I was only a teenager, but I could not hack it. I couldn't hack it. And so I was like, this is not going to be my life. I will not deal with this amount of rejection. But you really do have to get to a point where you're not taking it personally. Totally. And I think there's a friend of mine said to me when I got to LA, um, she's like, the, the key to being an actor in LA is resilience. And I was like, oh, I've got that. Yeah. And I do. Like that is, if you said, what are your superpowers? I'd be like, I'm pretty fearless and I'm pretty res- resilient. They're my two, I mean, heaps of other crap things, but like they're two like hallmarks of, my like superpowers so mm. I'll run towards things that scare me no problem and I'll comfortably <laughs> sit outside my comfort zone even though it scares me yeah um as even though that doesn't sound right I just feel like I always trust myself when I'm in an uncomfortable situation mm. and which acting always is I think other than like you get these moments of magic where time totally stops and you're like oh that's why I'm doing it but like 80 to 90 percent of the time you're like trying to you've got imposter syndrome you're trying to figure out if you're nailing it then if you're an Australian in America you've got to do all these different accents so it's just a different ball game but I don't even remember what your question was uh (laughs) my question was about rejection and like getting comfortable with it yeah so yeah you get rejection all the time in Australia I've got an agent that looks after me just for acting and they'll send me a self-tape and you film it so I'll get the boss to film me doing this audition I never get a response. Like I'll yeah. su- submit it. That means that the, the casting director's seen it and they're like, nope, delete. And you don't even get a response from your agent. You don't even get a response from the casting director. You see, so you get so used to like no's that you just keep going. Yeah, I, look, I think it takes a certain kind of person. Like I, I didn't, I didn't realise this about myself. Well, I mean, I've always known it, but it's really been highlighted recently how much I rely on, I don't like to call it validation, but praise. Like until someone can praise my work, then it's not good enough. You know, and I think when it comes to stuff like that, when you, you know, you film yourself tape and you've got these casting reels or whatever, these show reels, and you're not getting any feedback on them. It's sort of like, <laughs> yeah. like you're floundering out there, you know. But it does give you such a thick skin. So that when you do get like really nice feedback or something you can work with, you run with it because you're yeah. like, great, okay, that's something I can dig my teeth into. But yeah, it's hard. Like it's hard and it's confronting and like, yeah, America is yeah a, a beast all in its own. Just even getting there is hard. What would your ideal acting role be? I think I've got comedy bones. So I think I could see myself like in a sitcom yeah. or I really- did a Rosie O'Donnell monologue, which was so much fun. Plus New York accent is so much fun. But, um, yeah, I think I've got comedy bones. I don't I don't like trauma work as, for, as an actor. I don't believe in – I don't believe that acting has to have a psychological cost. I believe that you can get there through other modalities like understanding human behaviour. Um, so, yeah, I just think I like – I'm going to sound like a dickhead, but I think I'm a bit funny. So you're a bit funny. You've got great <laughs> comic timing. So I feel like comedy is probably where I'd sit, which is then when it suits like the talk show host as well. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Um, okay, so this is a book podcast. Do you consider yourself a reader? Would you call yourself a reader, mate? 
absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. But like when I was at drama school in Melbourne, I would force myself to read a play a week. So I am always reading. I finished a book two days ago and I'm already on to my next one. I try to read a book every two weeks. I try. And you, I mean, you have a lot of authors on the podcast or at least talent that have written books. Um, so, and, and I know what you're like with your guests. Do you make sure that you have read that book before they come on the show? So you're reading a lot. Um, I have some rapid fire book questions for you. You ready? No one answers them rapidly. So okay. don't freak out. Um, nonfiction or fiction? What's your cup of tea? Shit, it depends on the mood. It depends on the mood. Okay, well, that is fine. Okay, okay Some people depends. are one way or the other. Like, I'm fiction all the way. But, yeah. you know, I like that you can dip your uh, fingers into both. What was your favourite book growing up? Oh, Tully. There's a book called Tully by Paulina Simons. Simons. Or, yeah, yeah, Tully. It was like coming of age time when it came yeah. out. So, yeah, I love that book. And because it had a sexy bit of sexy scenes, I was Paulina like. Paulina Simons does all the sexy scenes. She's great. Have you read The Bronze Horseman? Yeah. Yes, I was about to say, <laughs> that, which I would be closely followed by The Bronze Horseman. Yeah, beautiful. What Do you think there was a book that changed your life? Uh, there would have been for sure. Um, there was a book that I'd, so I'd never even in my life ever written any, um, read any crime any crime mm. fiction, never, ever. And I had Candace Fox on the pod and I read The Chase because um, that was the book that she was releasing and I've never binged a book that big and thick in two days in my life ever before. And it, it made me realise that there was this whole genre that I could really enjoy and I hadn't even realised it yet and I was 35. Do you know yeah, what I mean? That, yeah. that was cool. That's exciting, isn't it? It's yeah. like when you stumble upon, uh, well... <laughs> a TV series, but more so for this podcast, a book series. And you're like, oh, my God, there's so many of them that I can read now, you know? Yeah, love that. Totally. Love that for you. Um, Is there a book that you like to buy other people? Oh, my God, yes. And I'm going to say his new book because it's just come out. But um, Hugh Van Kylenberg wrote The Resilience Project, He's unreal. I've also just interviewed him as well. He's incredible, but he's just bought out a book called um, Let Go and I've bought it for like five people for Christmas. Oh, fantastic. And what's yeah. that book about? I mean, uh, shame, let go. Shame, um, social media and our addiction to it. Um, he writes about failure and, yeah, he's just, it's very, it's like our style book, like yeah. it's in the personal development space. But I just love that. So for me, he's very comedic. To, to read and to watch on TED Talks and stuff like that. Very cool guy. And I'm just like, you're a legend. I'm, you know, just, uh, for me, uh, you're probably the same, but if I meet a legend, I'm like, I'm supporting you. And Absolutely. I've just gone out and bought all his books. Yeah, yeah, love that. What was your favourite book this year? Okay, I've just finished reading it. Do you mean it's got to have come out this year or? I uh, know that you read this year. Okay, so I've just finished reading this. There's a Netflix series about oh. it. Everyone that's listening, I'm holding it up. To I was going to say you're going to have to say the, the name of it. <laughs> it's called Mind Hunter, and there is a Netflix show. It's super eerie, but it's a true. This book is true. So basically, it's. Oh. I'll read you the. Um, so Mind Hunter inside the FBI elite serial crime unit, and so this is the unit that built the um, human behavior unit, so that they could profile serial killers and rapists I know that sounds really morbid and gross but it is so fascinating when you understand like the difference between an organized killer versus a disorganized killer that um you know someone that plans a crime whereas one 
you know, it's by accident. Or a, pa- a crime of passion compared to yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. And um, it's so fascinating because it's true. And then the TV show um, was built off it. And interesting fact, this is part of the syllabus of my acting school in LA oh. because they believe a good actor needs to be a good profiler. And <laughs> needs to be a good it. serial killer. No, a you, good profiler. <laughs> yeah, you need to profile your character and it's yeah. interesting because you could apply it to nearly any um, aspect of, like it was not just for killers is what I'm getting at. Like yeah, you've got yeah. any character, you could be like, are they organised, are they disorganised? What do they think about? How was their childhood? Um the only warning I would give is don't read it before bed. I had so many nightmares and so I had to read it in the day. Well, because it's true, right? Like whenever I read a scary fiction, I'm like, it's not true. Like, don't worry, it's all made up, but not with that. They, I reckon they get half their stuff from stuff like this. Mm. Like, honestly, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. The crazy thing about this is and the show is they interview the co-ed killer who's a really famous killer of the 70s who famously gave them heaps of information about how to catch serial killers. And so that's what's really interesting because he's like, don't ever let me out into the back into society. I'll keep killing people. And I'm like, God, yeah, it's mental, but so fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you have a favorite author? Yes, I do. But it's going to be really like, again, I've got all my props here. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, you do. I have to share this video. So my favourite author is actually a playwright, but it's Tennessee Williams. Mm. And I read this book about Tennessee Williams. So this is by James Grissom and it's called Follies of God. And he writes about how every lead female, like, comes to Tennessee. He visual so, like, Blanche, Maggie the Cat, like, any of the leads from Street Kind of Desire, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, any Glass Menagerie, any of the female leads he writes about, he literally has a vision of fog and this female character walks towards him and that's how he wrote Blanche Dubois like wow yeah so I love Tennessee Williams I mean his was full of pain and grief and whatnot but his writing and that southern drawl and yeah so much fun to I did my um I did my year 12 drama monologue to Streetcar Named Desire as Blanche yeah as Blanche yeah you'd be I reckon you could nail Blanche thanks (laughs) I don't remember. I, a word I, don't, of it I can't now. do. I can't do Blanche. I'm too fiery for Blanche. I'd be better Stella, but um, you would be a beautiful Blanche. Oh, Lola, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let us move on. Uh, what are you? So, what are you currently reading? Started this two days ago. Again, we've got the acting theme going here, but it's so good. It's called The Actor's Life: A Survival Guide, and it's by Jenna Fisher, who played Pam on The Office, The American yeah. Office. Yeah. So good. Steve Carell does the forward too. So it's just like little handy things for actors moving to LA that are trying to make oh, it. Basically. Yeah. Love that. It's such an easy read too. Like I'm already a quarter of the way through in two days. Really and then good. the final question is what is next on your reading list? So I know you've just had him on your pod. Christian White, Wild Place. I started it in hotel quarantine a bit like you. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. But I had other guests on the podcast I had to prep for and I was like, mm. shivers. So I've got it sitting there knowing it's just waiting for me to soak up. It's so good. That was one of those books, though. There was actually two that I've read lately. One was Wild Place. The other was The Shadow House by Anna Downs, where I was reading them at night and I was actually scared. How good, though? Like, which is a great, a great author, right? Like when you're really, really terrified. I was. I was terrified. Oh, I love that. I love full escapism. That's what I love about reading. 
Yeah. Yes, me too. And that's why I love fiction so much. I feel like with nonfiction, I'm sort of like forced to be with myself, but with fiction, I can just escape to another universe for a little while. Totally. I completely agree with you. I love this pod. It's such a great, um, I, like idea it suits you to a T getting to know you you know oh, what I mean like it's thank perfect. you well it's so funny like I could just talk about books with people all day but I really like to know you know what books they love not just what books they should love on paper you know like I think when exactly. we especially as a writer people ask me all the time like you know what are your literary favorites and I'm like oh god like they're so naff and basic bitch <laughs> you know what I mean but, but no nice one's asked me this ever oh, as a writer. They? No one oh. said, what's your favourite book? What are you reading? So it's so nice to meet a fellow reading nerd. Yeah, <laughs> well, it does influence your writing whether you're aware of it or not, right? Oh, my God, 100%, like a 1,000 million percent. Yeah, that was one of Christian White's tips. You know, he said you have to be reading as a writer. Like if you don't read and you're a writer, you're kidding yourself. They say that as an actor as well. They say you have to be reading and you have to be reading all the like great plays. So I've got like on my bookshelf as I was pulling these out before this interview, I've got like Arthur Miller, Tennessee Williams, Ibsen, like I've got all the great playwrights because you just learn something new every time you read them. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me on Talk Wordy to Me. I cannot wait for this to come out. I'm already a fan of the pod. So uh, I work for the pod too. It's beautiful. It's great, isn't it? That was a local Byron Bay designer, Sarah uh, Sarah Ainsley. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thanks, Lola. It's been a pleasure. And um, I'll see you at your book launch. Oh, my God. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) If you enjoyed this episode with Lola Berry, make sure you take a screenshot on your phone and share it to your Instagram stories. You can tag me at Jordana Levine and tag Lola at Yummo Lola Berry. On Friday, I'll be back with this week's bonus episode, and it's a little different this week. Something to sink your teeth into on Christmas Eve. Perhaps you have a road trip or a flight to catch or a train journey ahead of you. Perhaps you're just hiding out in your bedroom from all the rellos. Either way, you're going to love it. I sat down with my good friend, Melbourne journalist, TV producer and podcast host, Elizabeth O'Neill, to talk to her about her favourite book of all time, The Alchemist. I bloody loved this interview. It was so fun. And after I finished editing it, I actually picked up The Alchemist for... Oh, I don't even know, at least the sixth time and devoured it once again. If you've read The Alchemist before, you're going to love this episode. If you've never read The Alchemist before, you're going to love this episode and I guarantee you'll pick the book up. And if you're neither here nor there about The Alchemist, I think you're going to love it anyway. It was a really, really, really fun chat. So make sure you tune in to Friday's episode. Until then, I'm Jordana Levine and you've been listening to Talk wordy to me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.